Hello, welcome to Seen Them Given, your weekly guide to the big decisions in football and the people who make them. I'm Mike McCarthy, a football journalist. The qualified man in this podcast is the former FIFA referee and ex-head of the PGMOL, Keith Hackett. Hi Mike, delighted to be on the show again. Now on the show today, a good start for officials in the Premier League, but it wasn't perfect. We'll explain why. How should referees do their homework on players before the game starts? What should you do if a team seems to be taking it in turns to bring down an opponent? And should we take timekeeping away from the referee? Why is the duration of a match still such a mystery in 2021? We'll get to the opening weekend in the Premier League in a moment. First, though, Keith, we just wanted to discuss this quickly. Some real heroism in non-league football. Let me just read you this tweet from Hallam FC. It says this, As most of you are aware, yesterday's game against Rainworth was abandoned due to assistant referee Andrew Jarvis becoming unwell and receiving medical assistance from Hallam physio Shannon Brooks and her Rainworth counterparts. We've received some fantastic news from Andrew's son this morning that he's awake and stable in hospital. There is still some way to go, so please keep Andrew and his family in your thoughts. Andrew's son would like to thank Shannon, the Hallam and Rainworth players and their medical staff for their quick thinking and brave actions. From all at Hallam FC, we wish Andrew the best in his recovery and hope to welcome him and his family to Sandygate soon. It turns out, Keith, that Andrew had had a heart attack and thank goodness he appears to be making a recovery. Yeah, uh, I mean, that's brilliant news. Obviously... Picked it up very quickly on social media that there was a problem. And I think it's brilliant that one, there's a defib around and someone qualified to use it. And I think it's it's right that, you know, when we think about football, it's a game. When we think about someone's life, it's it's different. And, and you know, Shannon has done a fantastic job. The club must be as proud as punch that someone's actually been trained and comes in and does the job on the day and saves the life of someone. You know, we wish Alan Jarvis and his family a speedy recovery in that in those terms. And I suppose the context of this entire podcast, as it should be every week, is this is just a game, and this is exactly how we're going to take this conversation on. So look at the first weekend of the Premier League. Overall, I get your thoughts, Keith, in a little later, but there's a couple of controversial moments I want to get into first. Let's start Saturday at Turf Moor. Burnley against Brighton, Tarkovsky and Mope clashing in the penalty area before the former scores. Mm. Now, this was given. The VAR didn't overturn it. Blocking versus pushing from corners. Let's discuss that. Where should the referee be looking? Well, I think the referee's looking at the dropping zone, uh, but not at the ball, but at the players. That's the important thing because... The ball never commits an offence. And so as a consequence, you're looking at the players. Sadly, over the years, we've seen a decline of refereeing activity in coming in and awarding free kicks or awarding penalty kicks. We've seen a lot of grappling is, is, is our term it. But on this occasion, what has happened is pre-season, the Premier League and the PGMOL have announced that there should be a lighter touch in terms of refereeing overall. That's following the remit of what we saw in Euro 2020. They tried to explain in terms of penalty kicks that, that, that if you like, 
slight contact and ball to the ground, slightly exaggerated. Don't give the penalty kicks. We want more. We want, if you like, a bit of meat in the challenge. Uh, and this one, I was rather surprised that it wasn't reviewed by VAR. And that VAR had decided it wasn't a clear and obvious error because for me, that was more than a block. That was a push. Uh, and it was a push with some force. Player finished on the ground. The player who pushed went scored. So for me, the goal should have been ruled out for sure. And I, it wasn't. So that in itself, I think, was a one blip in a weekend where we've seen such wonderful refereeing and such great play. A great start for the Premier League, a great start for refereeing generally. Yeah, I just want to get into sort of rules of the road almost, the rights of way of players in that sort of situation, because you've got Mope essentially standing his ground, but not looking at the ball. So he's, I guess the burglar argument is, he's trying to make a block. He's not making a play for the ball. So what can Tarkovsky do there? I mean, is he does he have to run around? He, he, he's not allowed to essentially do what he did, which is run through Mope. I think that generally what you expect is a fairness within the challenge and a fairness with when you're competing for the ball. Uh, and for me, because there's an element of doubt about the outcome of what was happening, you don't allow a goal to stand. You, albeit that under this light touch, clearly I think that's what has come into play. They thought, well, okay, how far do we want the push to go? Well, for me, there was a bit of force in it sufficient, in my opinion, to rule out the goal. And, and I think that what we have to understand is that, yeah, nobody owns the field of play. And therefore, players will move, players will be blocked. The laws of the game cover it. You know, blocking is an offence. But, hey, on this occasion, uh, sometimes players don't necessarily look at their opponent. They're waiting for, for the contact. And they're trying to get out of the way, a little bit of a flinch to some degree. So I'm pretty clear. But if the PGMRL determine when they look at it, when hopefully they review it as part of the learning curve over the next few weeks, they'll determine in the future whether that is okay and allowed or whether as a group of referees for consistency, they will punish. And, and those things evolve in hopefully the debate and discussions that referees have away from the green bit. And you would hope there is some transparency about that uh, discussion as well, because otherwise you can imagine a situation in three or four weekends time, maybe Harry Maguire bundles into to someone trying to get on the end of a corner and he'll look back and go, well, hang on, three weeks ago at Turf Moor, this was allowed. Why is it not allowed now? I think there'll always be incidents in the game of football where similarities exist and two different outcomes uh, from referees, depending on the referee's vision, you know, whether VAR is going to come in or not. So I think there'll never be total consistency. And of course, I think that one of the things that we hope to see, because the PGMOL have announced that they are going to appoint a head of communications. Now, hopefully the head of communications might just be informing the public more on what is going off and how decisions are evolved. Interestingly, if people go onto YouTube and, and plug in uh, Chris Beath, Beath, B-E-A-T-H, 
they will see him being questioned almost immediately after the game about three decisions in the Australian A-League. And he produces an outstanding sort of response on all three occasions. How, how he didn't see it, how on first view, it, it was a, he was satisfied that it wasn't a handball. But when he reviewed it, after VAR intervention, one hand was down the side, but the other one was outstretched and therefore made the body shape bigger. And that's why then he changed his decision. And I think that sort of information is brilliant for the, for the spectator, a greater understanding of what's going on. Why do you believe there is a hesitancy to, to do that here, to have referees explain why things have happened in the way that they've happened? I think a lot of it is about timing. Uh, and we have to think about the media. They've got stories to file. They've got the end of the match reviews to take place. And there's often not time to get the referee's view in. The other side of the coin is that the referee must have a right to know what the question is and then to actually review the video because it could suddenly be asked about a particular incident. Why didn't you give this penalty kick? And the, the outcome is the reason he didn't give it is he didn't see it. So he's going to be asked a question about a penalty kick and he just goes, well, I didn't see it. And then somebody's going to ask, well, you're the referee, why didn't you see it? So I think when you're going to give a quality answer to a question on these major decisions within the game, then the referee's got to have the right to be able to review the video and then talk about it. In the same way, I think on Monday morning, we see Dermot Gallagher and a couple of players or former players discussing decisions that the referees on the Premier League have made over the weekend. And it just gives an insight into the outcome. But what you need is accuracy there of law interpretation, not the defence of the referee because of friendship, because of where your salary comes from. It's got to be, hey, pretty hard, hard hitting. And yeah, as, as I have found sometimes, because you're truthful and honest, you alienate yourself against your former colleagues. One of the, perhaps a blot on the copybook of otherwise, yes, a good weekend. We'll talk more about what went very well this week in the Premier League. But uh, Sunday afternoon, West Ham's penalty at Newcastle. Should uh, Martin Atkinson have been able to have another look at that? I think he should have had another look. I mean, when, on first view, he's in a good position. Uh, so he's got a good view of it. But I think that... Uh, the body has, has covered some of the challenge. There's exaggeration. You know, if, if you look at the, the remit that referees have been given about this, this contact and the strength of the contact, this for me was almost bordered an act of simulation. I believe it was, and therefore a penalty kick shouldn't have been awarded. And in that sense, the line between the VAR coming in, because it's a he's got to understand that it's a clear and obvious error. And I think in the review process, he should have been able to say to Martin Atkinson, Martin, this looks a bit iffy, go and have another look. And if Martin then sticks with his penalty kick, we can still argue. But I think knowing the referee he is, he would have said, right, okay, I've got a, a second view, another chance of seeing it. I'm not awarding a penalty kick. It wasn't a penalty kick. Is there a nervousness, do you think, or could there be a nervousness amongst VARs this season because of the remit of a lighter touch that no one wants to be the first person to go, you need to go and have a look at the monitor? 
Well, I, I think ultimately at the end of the day, for sure, you know, in these opening games, with new criteria being written in terms of how they have to perform, they're practising those in truth. OK, they've had a few friendly games, but now we're into the real sort of games themselves. And this is why I think there has to be a lot of dialogue, a lot of, if you like, workshop meetings with referees to actually review what's working, what's not, and the level of intervention. At the moment, I think if you take the fans' view, they're happy. You know, they're happy that there's less intervention, less stoppages. And for that reason, they're buying into it. It will change. And I'm not being a cynic here. The fact is that we're not at the business end of the, com of the, of the competition. We're at the opening stage where players are coming back from Europe. Teams are getting organised, new players into teams. Less, if you like, competitiveness within the games themselves. And therefore, as a consequence, when we start to get points on the board, we're in the bottom end, the manager at risk of losing his job, then things change. I suppose, look, in the, in the same way that we don't expect every team at this stage of the season to be running at 100% and being perfect, it doesn't seem fair to expect referees to be the same. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, referees have got to, from where they were last season, they themselves have got to mentally adjust because they haven't got a minute or a TV camera to review. They've got to make that instant judgment on the pitch. And I think, you know, a lot of reliance on this light touch is down to the behaviour of players. We saw Anthony Taylor taking a light touch. Then he brings a player across to him quietly and, and gives a public rebuke. And that player is a bit after Grealish. And so the next time, which should have been a caution, up here, Anthony Taylor's reading, let's hold on to the yellow card and let's let the player settle a bit. But then he brings the captain across and the player again. So that player had two public rebukes in effect. He was lucky to not get a caution. But, but what happened then was the intensity of the game rose. Players, if you like, self-control just went a little and then the feistiness came in and then he, he had to use his experience to pull back and and actually gain control not that he'd lost control but just reaffirm I'm in control so that he's got that experience to do that others may not yeah absolutely so let's talk about who had a good weekend this weekend in the Premier League who impressed you Keith I think of all the referees, Michael Oliver always impresses me. I think that he's, he shows great maturity. It was the opening game of the season, really important uh, to get the games off to a good start in refereeing terms. He'd had a great Euros, and I think it was a really good appointment by the PGMR. I think Mike Riley was right to put him on the game because he could then show everybody and demonstrate that that gap that existed in refereeing standards between Euros that we saw and last season in the Premier League has to come together. And he delivered on that 100%. He had a really good game. And overall, we can say this is a good weekend, can't we? I know we've nitpicked a bit on, on Burnley and, and, and a couple of other bits and pieces, but 
as a weekend goes, can uh, referees be extremely satisfied by the way it's gone? They've got to be. I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, uh, they're not first line of, of conversation, referees. We've been talking about the players. We've been talking about the quality of the games, the quality of the goals, and that's how it should be. And therefore, I think that uh, Mike Riley and his management team and the referees have kicked the season off exactly how clubs wanted it to be and the Premier League. And I think ultimately, at the end of the day, if they can continue, then fine. But also recognise that when you look at the appointments, they actually sat down and thought about those appointments and they were the right selections for the games. Over the coming weeks, of course, referees might fatigue a bit as Europe begins to come in, Euro games and trips overseas. So I think that with now 22 referees, more referees on the select group one, I think we've got to blood the four new referees as quickly as possible, give them games. And then, for me, I wouldn't have Taylor, Atkinson, Oliver, Dean. I wouldn't have them doing fourth officials or BAR. I'd just say, keep the fitness, keep the alertness, keep the form, because all I'm going to do is, is, is have your referee. And, you know, if you've got 10 games per week in the Premier League and you've got four or five referees that automatically slot in, there's less controversy. And the others have got to earn their stripes. And they earn the stripes by taking the odd match, demonstrating quality performances, and then they challenge the five. Still to come on Seeing Them Given, how much research do referees do on the players they're about to officiate over? What can you do if a team is intent on stopping a player by fair means or, indeed, foul means? And also, should timekeeping be taken away from referees? That's all still to come in just a moment. Seeing Them Given is supported by Premier Events, one of the UK's leading event management and event production companies. Premier pride themselves not only on offering first-class customer service, but more importantly, they take the stress out of planning events for corporate and private clients alike. Many of us are working more from home, so whether it's a fully virtual business update on Premier's very own streaming platform, a glamorous in-person awards ceremony, or a hybrid of the two for a retailer conference, Premier has everything under one roof to deliver stress-free, world-class events. Premier's team supports you every step of the way. That includes creating and designing content to ensure your audience is engaged and motivated, proud and energised. Whatever your goal, Premier's experienced creative team are on hand to guide you through the process. From their base in Leicestershire, Premier are perfectly positioned to service the whole of the UK and beyond. They even offer a free venue finding service for in-person events to ensure you get the best space possible for your budget. Visit www.premier-limited.com to take the first step towards taking the stress out of your next event. Thanks for sticking with us. So let's take a couple of issues in the EFL uh, this weekend, Keith. Hull City boss Grant McCann. Uh, I spoke to him after uh, being at uh, Hull Queen's Park Rangers this weekend. George Moncur was sent off for... I think it's fair to say, a bit of a lunge 
uh, Dominic Ball of Queen's Park Rangers. This is what Grant McCann had to say afterwards. He says, I think these referees should probably do their homework a little more on players and games. George isn't that type of player, doesn't go in to harm anyone. They're thinking about an appeal, Hull City. Uh, first of all, on the challenge, you've seen it. What, what did you make of it, Keith? Well, I think the first thing that I do is I look at the position of the referee. And the referee is in a great position, side on view, in close proximity, nobody blocking his view. I then looked at him very closely because in fairness to him, he showed a great deal of maturity, he gave himself a bit of thinking time, then produced a red card. I looked at the players around, there was no sort of huge sort of surrounding of the referee to dispute what in fact action he'd taken. What we have to understand about players is that when they launch themselves off the ground, two feet or one foot forward, they're out of control. They're unable to stop, unable to change direction. And if they take man and ball, ball and man, you can't use the ball as an excuse. In that situation, they're running the risk of an act of serious foul play. That's what the referee judged. It's inconclusive when you actually look at the video. You, the, the, you know, there's no replays, or I've not seen any, that actually would give me a bird's eye view, if you like, a, a complete look at the challenge itself, just to judge where the feet or the foot landed. So I'm going with the referee. Now, when we come to studying players and, ref and <laughs> as a referee, preparing for the game, the master at this was Pierre Luigi Colina. He could tell you the names of the players that he's going to referee, the tactics that are going to be used, the potential change of tactics. And from that, when I used to coach referees, we would, we would do that level of homework. We would say, right, okay, let us look at the teams. Do they play the long ball? Who are the, who are the playmakers? You know, we know, for example, uh, Grealish is the playmaker for Manchester City. Was Anthony Taylor alert to the fact he was? That same player challenged Grealish on more than one occasion. That's why he had the quiet word and then the second word. So I think from a, a, a refereeing point of view, awareness of tactics has to be a key driver within the overall performance. Now, what you've also got to do is you might be swinging along and everything's rosy. One team's winning, one's not. And then all of a sudden, the team that's losing suddenly bring on two subs. And I give you an example here of quality referee, because I was once assessing uh, Uriah Rennie, Sheffield referee Uriah Rennie, and Gascoigne was in the, on the bench, clearly getting frustrated. You could see that in the warm-up, he was frustrated, looking at the players, shouting at the players. And, and then... Uh, I recall that Gascoigne had had yellow cards pretty quickly in games where he'd been a sub. So all of a sudden, the board goes up, he's coming on, and Uriah Rennie moved to the touchline and was having a chat. And in that chat, as they moved towards the centre of the pitch for Gascoigne to take up his position, Uri's actions had actually calmed him down. Whereas in prior to that, referees hadn't done that, and Gascoigne came in, and within a minute, is the frustrations he's taken out of another player and he's got a yellow card. So I think that 
there is an example of knowing who the players are, knowing the tactics, knowing that sometimes uh, the substitution element can, can be a problem area, change of tactic, longer ball, quicker ball, or, or you, may, you may just well have, certainly in Europe, when there was a home and away leg, you knew that one of those teams, all they wanted was a draw. So the time-consuming stroke, time-wasting, was always a problem. And you had to step in on that very early on to ensure it didn't get out of hand. So that's part of the preparation. I'm really interested by that Gascoigne story, particularly because there'll be some people listening to this going, well, is that really the referee's job to calm a player down? Should that not be the responsibility of his coach to say, hang on, you've been booked the last couple of times you've come off the bench, just wind your neck in a little bit and get into the game for five minutes before you start throwing yourself around? That might be the case, but it's unusual if it is. I think that what we are tied with doing is is to say, right, okay, we are going to control 22 players. And we're given the license to control those in different ways, different personalities of referees that you see, the quiet word, those referees that remain calm, those that sometimes get slightly excited. Um, so it's all part of the process of the referee. You're managing 22 players. And for me, if you can avoid having to dig into your right-hand pocket to produce a yellow card or at the top breast pocket to produce red, then that's success, you know, and, and that is part of managing. Fairness, I think ultimately at the end of the day, they've paid the money, the fans, and they want 22 players on the pitch. We all do. So as long as you're doing it for both sides, it's all fine. Yeah. So let's talk about what happened at Oakwell this weekend. Commentary's Callum O'Hare, I think, basically had a target on his back uh, from the Barnsley players at the weekend. Eight Barnsley players booked in this match in the championship. It appears five of those bookings came directly for fouls on Callum O'Hare. Uh, when you're officiating a game like this, when a team appears to be on, intent on stopping one particular individual, but also spreading the fouls around to make sure that none of them get sent off, what as a referee can you do? Is there anything? Yes, absolutely. I think, I think the first thing is that uh, if, if this is taking place in the first half, that helps uh, it, to some degree, because the first thing you can do is bring the captain across after you've had a couple bring the captain across and say, look, I can understand the tactics. I'm not daft. If this continues, I'm really going to come in and you're going to see me. And I'm carrying a red card in my top pocket. Uh, so I want an improvement from you as a team. So that's the first line. And then you've got to ca carry through what the threat. You can't suddenly just allow it to es escalate. So for me, in the, at half time, also, I would ask the manager to come and see me. But it would be both managers. And I would say, look, I know what's going off here. I don't like it. It's not good for the image of the game. And if you want to retain 22 players on the field of play, then it's got to change. So I think there are actions. I think also that if a team has, I think it's five or six yellow cards in a game, then they are fined because this is 
you know, a deterrent that the FAU often use. And therefore, I think sometimes the referee needs to make certain that he's got a foot on the ball and he understands what's happening. He clearly did. But for me, there's a point at which you go, right, that's red. And the captain says, it didn't look any worse than the others. And you go, it is, because this has mounted four or five. I've seen enough. And it's team misconduct and off you go. And you're, you're stretching the law. But this is like the copper on the street, stretching the law to get the end result that he wants. And that is control. Interestingly, Callum O'Hare was also booked in the game very late on for uh, retaliation, essentially to a challenge. And is that a, a sign perhaps of, of a game getting out of control of a referee? I think it's always difficult to understand and be aware of every player's reaction. But, uh, you know, in, in awarding those yellow cards, I'd be inclined to call the other captain together you know, both captains together and have a debate uh, along with the player who's, who's getting the, the stick and, and, and actually to try and influence a change of tactic. And this is why I think that, you know, sometimes a walk to the technical area and um, let's have the two managers and have a discussion. And say, look, I'm not happy with this. This is not good for the game. We're professional. You're professional. We want players to be able to play football. And so I think there are many ways in which you do it. But this, is, this is, has to be the judgment of the referee on the day. It's a difficult one for referees. It's not easy. But, but I think there is a way out, and that's the way out. I guess as well, this goes back to uh, what we were talking about earlier, research. If now whoever's refereeing Coventry next week knows that Callum O'Hare was uh, getting kicked about a bit in his last game is protecting a particular player, something a referee can do in the next one. Yeah, I think that what I used to do, we, we had a product called Prozone, which was a detailed video analysis of, of the games and the teams. So we had every game covered in the, in the Premier League. And as such then, what I would do is there'd be an open platform for the referees to go in and have a look. So if, say, Howard Webb or, or was, was refereeing Fulham or, or Manchester United, he could actually go into this platform and pull the last game that Manchester United played or even pull the game from the season before where the two teams had played and just, just take a look. Is there any history? And that was really um, came about with me having to put up with that Manchester clash where... 21 players came together. And if I'd have known, I could have prevented that particular problem. But because I had, had no homework, then I was mugging the middle that had to handle it. And then ultimately both teams were deducted points. Right, this week we're introducing something new, Keith, on Seeing Them Given. We want you to suggest a law change. If you've got a suggestion that you think would improve the game, and hey, there's 11 months for IFAB to think about it. Hello at seenthemgiven.co.uk is our email address. Now, this week, 
just to set the ball rolling. This is something that's been on my mind for a long, long time. Should a referee really be responsible for timekeeping? This is the law as it's written at the moment. Uh, allowance is made by the referee in each half for all playing time lost in that half through substitutions, assessment and or removal of injured players, wasting time, disciplinary sanctions, medical stoppages permitted by competition rules, i.e. drinks breaks and cooling breaks, delays related to VAR checks and reviews, and any other cause, including any significant delay to a restart, example, goal celebrations. Keith, that is a lot of things, and I find it difficult to believe a referee can always accurately keep the time. What about you? Well, they don't. Uh, in, in truth, uh, I've been at games where you expect six, seven minutes, and four goes up. Four seems to be a regular, a regular number. Three's become slightly more regular at half time. And I see referees not stopping the watch, as we used to. So for me, I think I've always said, and I've said it for a number of years now, and I once had a long conversation with David Dean, who has some power of influence, been one of the guys who helped form the Premier League. And he shares the, exactly the same view, that there should be an independent timekeeper, just like there is in boxing and other sports. And that clock should be visible so that people can publicly see when he's stopping it, when he's starting it. Now, in reality, this is a problem to the game. Because if you look at a lot of the stats, out of a 90-minute game, you're lucky to get 50, 55 minutes. There's that much time lost. Ball over the touchline, going to retrieve it, throwing, goal kick, corner kick. A lot of time lost, believe it or not, on set-piece free kick management. Referees can consume more time than the players. Managing set-pieces, talking to, as I've just suggested, talking to players. And it seems odd, doesn't it? In a, in a game that's streamed worldwide, that we rely on that man to have this additional duty of the timing of the game. And often, I think they're guessing how much added time should be played. So for me, at the senior level of the game, you know, that's the elite level, professional level, independent timekeepers are long overdue. Just when you're mentioning the average time being sort of 50, 55 minutes maybe in a game, you've reminded me of a game that I saw last season at Wickham, Rotherham winning on the opening day of the season, and the ball was in play that day for just 35 minutes and 50 seconds. It is comfortably the shortest time recorded in the championship. Uh, Opta have been tracking that data since 2013-14, uh, 35 minutes and 50 seconds of football in a 90-minute match. I can't tell you how much was added on that day. I haven't got my notes in front of me. But, I mean, it's extraordinary, isn't it, that, that you know that amount of time can be lost. So what is stopping this being a thing? Because there's so many other sports, you, you're quite right. I mean, rugby, you'll hear a referee say, time off, time on, uh, over, the, you know, over their earpiece. But it's not happening in football. So what, what is stopping this? Well, I think the tradition of 90 minutes and the tradition that the referee is in charge of time and it's part of the laws of the game and a reluctance to change. Maybe they worry about the cost. 
You know, it's easy for the Premier League to say, okay, we'll have an independent timekeeper and a football league, but it's additional costs and additional people doing it. Uh, but I, I think in the modern in the modern game, we need that. We need to ensure that fans get value for money. Now that that might that change might come about when they actually, with the data averages, to, to determine, well, actually, do we need two equal halves of 45 minutes? If we're getting 50, 60 minutes in a game, should be the aim be 80 minute games and 80 minutes play. So there's a stretch. But I just see a complete reluctance in the in the authorities wanting to change. They've got this, I suppose to some degree, the game is one game, depending it's, you know, if it's in the local parks, if it's the level. But, but I'm convinced that um, an independent timekeeper is due in the Premier League, for sure, sooner rather than later. How would referees react to that? I mean, part of me thinks they'd be quite relieved at, you know, it's one less job to do, but are some quite keen to hold on to that part of the role? I don't think referees are worried either way. I think the reality is that, for me, I think it's one less job. And I think it's an important job that gets less view than it should do. I can remember when I was boss of the PGMOL, uh, it, it was a barrister who wrote to me, returning his ticket and requesting a re refund, saying that he'd been cheated out of watching a game of football. And when I looked into it, it was a bit of a smile. It was a similar point that I make about an independent timekeeper. He was actually making the point that on Sky, he'd been watching the game and they'd put up four minutes and, he, and they were watching the clock and at three minutes, 30 seconds on the Sky screen, television screen, referee had blown final whistle. And then that's when I had to, I got into a debate with a, with a technical lawyer and had to send in the laws of the game and say, look, this is the laws of the game. The referee's the sole timekeeper, not Sky Television. Not the man who actually, the man at the tide of the pitch who's, who's Sky can, or BBC, who's indicating the game can now start because television's ready. He's not the timekeeper, the referee is. So it's, it's, it's a quirk, isn't it? It's, it's history and a reluctance to change history in terms of the laws of the game. I suppose the other thing that some people might be thinking listening to this is, well, hang about, if the clock stops for any reason, this is an opportunity for advertisers to maybe get involved in the game. Let's get the latest in-play odds with 67 minutes on the clock and, there, you know, the, there's an injury or something like that. Let's go to the guy at the betting company to tell us whether Manchester United coming back would be worth two to one or whatever it is. Well, that, do you know, did, could, could that conceivably happen? Is that a, oh, a, a reason why this is, is something that people might not want? Mike, it's not new. Uh, when I refereed on the North American Soccer League in the early 80s, one of the things that really shocked me was Mr. Hackett, you have to play, you have to stop the game for one minute in each half. And I'm going, when? Well, 
when you judge <laughs> when it's convenient. And I spoke to one or two other referees on the league and they said, okay, it's easy. Player goes down injured. That's the time to get your minute in. And, uh, and, and I can remember we had a crossed arm signal to say, stop the clock. And of course the stadiums did have clocks. An independent timekeeper we had, and then you would do a wind up sort of signal to restart the play. One minute exact. No communication kit, but that used to take part. And I can remember on one occasion, a player took a knock. I thought he was going to stay down and he actually was going to get up. And I've run across, I've signaled, stop the game. I've run across and now I'm saying to him, do me a favor, stay down, will you? Don't, don't get up. <laughs> so, yeah, it happened in the early 80s on the North American Soccer League, for sure. But there's plenty of innovations that that uh, happened in, in those times that might be worth discussing and whether any of those might come back. Maybe one week we'll talk about those 35-yard uh, penalties yeah, that, that they a, tried at the start of Major League Soccer. Anyway, if you've got a suggestion for a law change that you'd like to see in the game, we will debate it here and see whether it could make sense, whether it could work. Hello at seenthemgiven.co.uk is the email address. That's also the email address to get in touch if you've got a question for Keith on anything you've seen uh, over the weekend's football or indeed in midweek as well. And if you want to propose maybe a scenario to Keith, a hypothetical one like we've done on the past, you can send a message to the same address. If you've stayed with us for the whole show, thanks so much for listening. New episodes have seen them given every Monday on your favourite podcast provider. Uh, we'd also love you to tell us what you think of the show and what you'd like to see in it. Again, hello at seenthemgiven.co.uk is the email address. Now, if you enjoyed the show, please give us a rating and a review wherever you get your podcasts. It will help people discover us. For now, though, thanks so much for your company, and we'll see you next time. Cheers. Cheers.